We continue worshiping God together as we come under his word in James chapter 5, where we'll continue our series in the letter from James, beginning in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save those who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul From death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Have you ever prayed for something and it didn't quite go like you'd hoped? Have you ever prayed for, you know, that proverbial pony? Or maybe the uh, new bike? As a child, one Lutheran pastor wrote about an experience he had as a teen going to a school chapel and hearing a famous speaker talk about how he knew that the Lord was with him from childhood because he'd answered his prayer even in their poverty for a new bike at Christmas. Now, it may be that the Lord was at work in that man's life and it It also may be, as this Lutheran pastor inferred with wondering about that theology, wondering what would happen if that new bike hadn't come. What do we do when we come to texts like we are invited to here in the book of James and we get this call for fervent, powerful, bold prayer? And it gets even more personal than just a pony or a bike. 
At the beginning of the Psalm of 55 that I read part of for you, it says, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide your, not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me, answer me. God invites us in the Psalms to pray even in our anguish. I wondered if I would, uh, as I prayed about it and talked about it with joy this week, share with you this story. It was a prayer of mine at the bedside of first my mother-in-law shortly after she died. As I prayed, I prayed, Lord, why wait? Why not raise her from the dead right now? And then a few years later, when my father died and visited him at the mortuary, I prayed again, Lord, why wait? Why not raise him from the dead right now? Attend to me. Answer me. Sometimes in our anguish, we pray to the Lord as the scripture teaches us. And you might be wondering, well, see, it seems since your mother-in-law and father are still with Christ in heaven, he didn't answer your prayer, but just the opposite is true. Because the Lord did raise her up. The Lord did raise him up. In both cases, God answered that prayer. Not quite like I wanted him to, but much better, really. Because as we confess in God's word and as we share and proclaim in our liturgy, when we die in a death like his, as we hear in the book of Romans, we rise in a resurrection like his. For neither life nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so in our anguish, in our times of trial, in our times of difficulty, we can come to the Lord boldly in prayer and with confidence that he hears us, that he answers those prayers. Now, there are so many passages in just James chapter 5 this week that have been oftentimes misused or abused. And because of that, maybe that's one of the reasons why we sadly as a church, not unlike the rest of the book of James, ignore this clarion call to bold prayer. Maybe it's because of our secular age. We hear all the time, oh, don't give me your prayers. I want your action. And yet, this servant of the Lord who God uses to speak to us in this letter in the book of James, if you've been with us these last few weeks and studying the James, you know it's all about putting our faith into action. As a matter of fact, there's no separation in James or in the scriptures between spiritual care 
community care, or even medical care. As we hear in this text, we're called to come in the Lord's name, anointing with oil, which many scholars think was likely part of the medical practice of the day, as well as an act of prayer. And to do that with the community surrounding that individual. There's no separation between prayer and action. In fact, I like how the same author that talked about the speaker with the bike at Christmas wrote this. He said, James makes it sound like prayer is actually effective. And it's because it is. And it's not if, it's when, sometimes how. And so as others have pointed out, James is calling the church to faithfulness, a focused attention on living out our faith. And as Lutheran scholars will point out, it may be that in the book of James, the ledger between law, that is that which God calls us how to live and about how to follow him and his way, as opposed to the gospel that redeems us, the ledger most certainly in James, you can say, leans on the side of the law. Heavy even. What we're called to do, like as we've heard throughout these weeks, to come to the Lord under trial, into his wisdom with obedience and careful speech, and among our differences and between rich and poor, to have no impartiality, but to care for one another and to care for the poor. And then here we again, again we come to this calling of what it looks like to be under trial. And it turns out in chapter 5, That the prayer of faith is the right way to put your faith into action for those in need. That the prayer of faith is the right way to use the tongue to express wisdom. That the prayer of faith is the right way to express humility and confession as we did in worship just a few moments ago. The prayer of faith is the right way to deal with the anguish of our trials. Oh, it may be that the the ledger of law is heavy in the book of James. But as we'll recall again, the law always points us to our need for the gospel. Miriam Kamel Kovalshim, a scholar at Regent Seminary, I think has some wisdom for us as we examine this text. As opposed to the secular world, she'll say that prayer is actually a revolutionary tactic, not some passive resignation. And as opposed to you and I being in control, 
The prayer of faith is about faith in God, not faith in what the results look like. And this was particularly helpful for me, and I hope that it will bless you as well, when she understands for us what God is saying to us in the book of James. She says, God is not a vending machine. That if we insert the right amount of righteousness into the coin slot, it'll pop out the item that we want. No, in fact, the righteousness that we have anyway comes from Christ himself. You see, the examples that we get in the book of James here in chapter 5 help us understand that. Help us understand that God's not just a vending machine giving us what we want if we insert the right amount of righteous coinage. And we know that because of the examples of folks like Job, Elijah, the prophets. We discover a real human experience between us and God. And you might be saying at this point, time out. Are you telling me that I'm supposed to be like Job, who was tested by God, or Elijah? I mean, this guy was on Mount Transfiguration after all, right? You expect me to be like that? And yet we discover that Elijah was one of us. He struggled with feelings of isolation and abandonment. Even after God used him in mighty ways on Mount Carmel, God even used him to raise a boy from death to life. Elijah, in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, has a heart to share. And in that prayer that I'll read for you right now, it begins to echo the same heart that we're getting in James chapter 5. In James chapter 5, and here in Elijah, we hear this clarion call, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. We're in 1 Kings 18 now. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. This prayer continues as a discourse to call people back who had wandered away from the truth. James is inviting us to pray like Elijah. To pray when we feel isolated or abandoned. To pray when all hope is lost. To pray that those who had wandered away from the truth of the gospel would come back. And of course we know Elijah is an Old Testament prefigurement of Christ. And so on that Mount Transfiguration, now Jesus is the final Elijah. Jesus is the one 
who was isolated and abandoned for us so that we wouldn't have to be from God. Jesus is raised from the dead so that we can be raised with him. Jesus has died on the cross so that all those who have wandered away from God in sin can be drawn back. You and I are called to be praying like Elijah. It's not about how great Elijah was. It's about how great and good the God and the word of God that empowered him is. That same word given to you and me. Of course, that's not the only example we get in James, is it? We also find out about Job. And if you know the testimony of Job, you know that Job was tested and tried and suffered. So much so that even his wife told Job, why don't you just curse God? And Job said, no, blessed be the name of the Lord in whatever circumstance. That's the example that we have. Even when it's beyond our understanding. And believe me, Job had questions for God. And God allowed those questions to come to him. Just as he allows us to bring those questions to him. I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes reading the book of Job. I say, yeah, but at the end of the book, right? Job gets everything back. He gets all of his riches and. His family is blessed. And as I was studying the text anew, I realized that that same restoration promise is there for you and for me. It's not if, it's when. For when Christ died and rise is we too when we die and rise with him all things will be restored and the greatest richness is that of being with God our savior as the book of revelation says one day there will be no more tears that promise that job received there is the same promise that God will ultimately fulfill for us in Christ. Not if, just when. And of course, part of that prayer life has to be a prayer of confession and seeking forgiveness as we hear in James 5. James assumed that Christians in the first century would be sinners. Guess what? That same assumption is still true for us today. And so part of our prayer life is to come to God in humility. I like how Luther put it. He said, when I urge you to go to confession, he says, I am simply urging you to be Christian. And so we come to God with the anguish of our souls and all as the psalmist cries out with all of our needs. We come to God and we seek him and we wait patiently as a farmer waits patiently for the crop to bring its harvest. As he establishes, the scripture says, your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Not if, but when. The faith that he gives us to work, 
to be at work in, in our baptismal daily calling, our vocation. A calling that includes, as we hear finally wrapped up now in prayer, in wisdom, in humility, and a leading others to the good news of the gospel, to Christ, to a single, as we heard, a single-minded faithfulness to God, to bring back those who had wandered away. He ends abruptly, verse 20. That's where he ends, and that's where our work continues. No, the ledger might lean towards the law, but James ends with the heart for the lost, the heart leaning us to the gospel. You also, verse 7 says, be patient, or you could say it translated as endure or be courageous. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. May our hearts be established to live in prayer like this, leading us and welcoming others to the gospel. I'll end with a prayer that scholar C.J. Armstrong wrote about after reading this text. Let's pray it together. Prepare me, Lord Jesus. Prepare all of us to endure in the vocations to which you have called us and called us this very day. Prepare us to wait patiently for your return. And even as we hope in a new heaven and a new earth, prepare our hearts for your coming. And prepare us for the work that you've given us to be faithful to in your calling this day. Amen.